Ali, why do you use Southern implants? I love these implants. Brilliant. I have options like coaxis, which 38% of implants that are used by Southern are coaxis, which means that 38% of the time, if you don't have coaxis angle correction at implant level, you're compromising on your treatment plan. On top of that, soft bone implants for the pterygoids, as well as the max implants, immediates for molars, can save having zygomatic implants. Definitely the way to go. Ali, can you name everything in the practice that's made by WNH? Ooh, off the top of my head, all of our hand pieces, our sterilization equipment, my implant motor, the PisoMed, they're an incredible company to work with because they're an Austrian company that focus on hygiene. And we know from studies that patients care most about hygiene. To top it all off, the support we get from them is amazing. They don't actually supply the equipment, but they provide the support. Now that's true support. Greetings dental professionals. I'm Flo, a new addition to the field. And I'm Ali, a seasoned dentist who's been around for a while. Welcome to Pearl's Two Generations in Dentistry, where we explore the depth of dental expertise. You can find us on Instagram at Pearl's Dental Podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode. So Ali, how was your week? So, um, it's been, uh, more of a sad week this week, if I'm honest. Um, we lost, uh, our little dog BB last week, just before her seventh birthday. And I know I always say it's been a great week. It hasn't been such a great week. And in honor of BB, she's, she's on my mug this week. So it was, it was a bit of a sad week, but, um, out of that sadness came a lot of positivity because uh, last weekend I was teaching mm -hmm. and uh, our whole team surprised me by being at the course and there to support me. And it was really, really nice. Mm. So, um, yeah, we've had a week of grieving in our house, mm. but, um, you know, there wasn't much time to say much time to think about it. It was really sad. And then I had to get back into it because on Monday I was in Abdair with Aston mm. and he was his, doing his first uh, immediate load full arch case. Mm -hmm. And I believe it's the first ever one done in Abdair town. Oh, wow. Um, at Jamie Pugh's practice. He's a really nice guy. Really, really nice, well-established family practice. I think it's been there 30 years, he was saying. And he was really proud as well. Mm -hmm. Lovely patient. Her life has been changed. Aston did an incredible job. So, um, yeah, that was brilliant. And then we were at the practice all week, which is great. Mm -hmm. And it all uh, culminated in uh, the IDAW conference yesterday, mm -hmm. which I will let you talk about. Oh, thank you. Um, How I, was your week? <laughs> it was... Um, so I've got a, a little bit of a chest infection. So if I do cough during this, um, I do apologize. Um but I went to see the doctor and it was very interesting because her style of consultation I found was very similar to my style. And it was really weird to be on the other end of it. And I was like, I, I asked that, like, I, I do the same thing there. Um, except she did ask one question that we don't ask, which was, so what do you think's wrong with you? Which I think would be hilarious if we asked to our patients when they come in. Also, <laughs> also that's how you end up going down a rabbit hole with a patient yeah, yeah, yeah yes um but yes um and then so yeah just working and then yeah we had the idaw conference yesterday which um was 
we had there was two speakers there. Um, first one was Mike Hes- Hesketh. Hesketh, yeah. Um, talking all about sort of practice ownership um, and how to sort of build your brand into your practice. I think it was really interesting being yeah. there. Most. 95% of the people there owned a practice already. And it was me and Hannah Crow were there who don't own a practice. And I think it was actually really interesting being there at a stage where you don't own one and seeing actually things to look out for if you were going to buy a practice, sort of to begin with, sort of on that blank slate. Like I would didn't have anything going like, oh, I didn't do this, I did this there. It was very, you know, like, oh complete blank canvas so i found that very interesting there i'm, I'm glad i hadn't learned all of that before i owned a practice because i think it would have made me think there's more there's so much more to this than i realized um but yeah i mean uh, mike's story is interesting so it's he's he was in the military and then him and his wife had a practice that they sold mm. they went traveling with their kids because they were three and five and i thought those ages were really interesting mm. before they start school so they sold the practice and went traveling for a year mm-hmm. and then they are running a hesketh consultancy mm-hmm. which um it was interesting because yesterday i put up some pictures on instagram after the course and my friend gareth edwards that i lived with in university has a very really cool practice in bournemouth called smile stories mm. um with with zach and the rest of the team there and he said that they're working with mike and I thought that was interesting because um, Gareth is very forward thinking and it makes sense that they'd work together. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I thought it was an excellent day. And I think uh, Helen and Ian and the rest of the IDAW team did a really good job organizing it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it was yeah really well organized. Great food as well. And I actually think the vegan food was better than the other option. Yeah, I mean, I ate I'm very biased, food, but yeah. everyone sort of said that. So. Yeah, no, 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 it was. And, you know, that's important when you're spending a day away from family or from work or whatever it is it's nice mm-hmm. if all that stuff's nice but um for me I, I haven't we always talked about as when i was on the idaw committee about having a big picture day that helps you reflect on your business because so, some things are too abstract mm-hmm. and then some things are too clinical mm-hmm. and this was actually about literally the nitty-gritty of running a practice mm-hmm. so did it make you want to have a practice or did it put you off having a practice um i think a little bit to be honest i think there's so much to think about i i still think potentially one day i may own a practice but definitely for now um there's no short-term immediate aspirations for it so he's made me think you can have mine if you want no <laughs> yeah. no no he's, he kind of painted a picture i thought it was really interesting because it highlighted to me the way and i i spoke to mike about this so i don't mind saying it that um everyone assumes that you have a practice for certain reasons Mm -hmm. and a lot of practice owners share those reasons but i found it interesting to really find out what an outlier i am Mm -hmm. and um and it was interesting because i i have been following a lot of advice but maybe based on assumptions Mm -hmm. about why i have a practice from the people giving the advice and i think maybe i need to be more clear with the people around me who are helping us run the practice so Mm -hmm. um it's actually perfect timing for the topic for today yes no definitely so today we are going to talk about being a practice owner um and touch on as well that work-life balance which i think inevitably comes into being a practice owner um what is your story then of how you got this practice 
So it's funny because actually the story starts right behind us in in this waiting room. And um, it was actually, this practice was owned by a friend of ours from university and his wife. So Imran and Emily Qasim owned this practice. And at the time I was traveling around as a peripatetic implant surgeon. So seven practices I was visiting. And one of them was in Worcester. And Worcester was lovely, but there was no one around doing implants. And I thought it would be really cool to come do this here. Plus... <laughs> It wasn't raining much <laughs> and it's raining all the time in Wales. Actually, we were talking to someone at the conference about this, but they were from Ireland. So they thought the weather's not that bad in Wales. Um, so um, we thought, why don't we see if we can set up a squat practice in, in, uh, in Worcester? And the only person we knew who had set up a squat practice was Imran. So I messaged him and I said, oh, um, can, I, can we come and chat to you? And we hadn't been to the practice. And we came in and he showed us around. We were like, wow, this is amazing. It's really nice in here. So we said, well, there's two things we'd really love. One is for you to tell us how, how do you get money to do something like this? Like, how do you approach a bank and get lending step by step? Mm -hmm. And also, can we have your floor plans? Because we love this. Mm -hmm. And he said, well, do you want this? And laughed. And I went, yeah. And I laughed. And he went, no, 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 seriously. <laughs> Um, we're looking to sell this. And I went, yeah, I, I, yeah, we'll, we'll have it. And Zara said, can we talk about this, please? <laughs> um, and, and that night we kind of um, left and I was saying, you know, we live down the road. We've been in Cardiff a long time. We have family here. We have the opportunity to stay and do this. That would be amazing. And the best part of it, the best part of any deal is when it's a win-win. Mm -hmm. And Imran really wanted to uh, get out of dentistry. Mm. And so we started chatting at right at the, I believe it was right at the end of 2019. And then COVID hit right, right while we were talking about this. And he was kind of like, well, it's now or never, which is fair enough. Cause he, you know, so we kind of took over, over COVID, but um, yeah, it, that was, that was how we got into this practice, but we had bid for a practice a long time ago um, and didn't get it. And we were really disappointed. But looking back, we, it's lucky it didn't work <laughs> out. Um, with most things in life, I think you find that. Mm -hmm. um, but it was actually at a point where I was driving around to those seven practices. And every practice I was walking into, I was getting frustrated. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, a well, if you're going to criticize this much, then do it yourself. And I thought, you know what? I think I'd watched too many movies around that time, but you know, the there's old movies where there's a family business mm. and they own a shop and it's the family and their kids help out in the shop and any employees they have, um, they all know each other really well. They're part of a small community. And let's say they have an employee who has a child mm -hmm. and the child has a sports day and they say, of course, go, we, we'll, we've got you covered. And there's no shareholders mm -hmm. and there's no computer says no, <laughs> okay. it, you know? And I think... Um, I have had really good experiences working with corporates, mm -hmm. but I found that part of it really frustrating that, that this hierarchy and the red tape, and it's the same reason I don't do well in, uh, in dental hospitals. Mm -hmm. I don't like the red tape. So, um, so this was an opportunity to, to move away from that. Nice. So um, the question really then is sort of what should, should everyone buy a practice? So it was funny because in dental school, that was kind of one of the things that are, I think there were a lot of people in our year who thought that that was the natural progression. Mm -hmm. You do dentistry, you go be a dentist, and then mm -hmm. you go have a practice. I really think that we never think about the fact that these are completely different jobs. Yeah. So 
running a business we aren't trained for mm -hmm. and that becomes painfully obvious when you run a business um <laughs> So we're not trained to run a business. We're trained to do clinical work. Mm -hmm. And if we do postgrad, we're trained to do academic work. Mm -hmm. And there's loads of other opportunities within dentistry that aren't related to business. But mm. um, I think that it depends. Mm -hmm. And I'm really glad I didn't buy a practice when I first qualified because I didn't really understand this. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it depends what you want to do every mm -hmm. day. No, I, I, I think I like, I do think with dentistry, it's quite wild that everything at dental school is very focused on, you know, this is how you drill a tooth, this is how you fill a tooth. And then you go into the wide world and actually you're expected to do so many different roles just within your job, even as an associate and understanding sort of the self-employment and the, the finance side of that. And then if, yeah, if you take over a business, you're suddenly this business owner yep. and you're you're managing a team and you might not have ever actually had to manage a team before yeah. and it's that whole thing isn't it where actually sometimes it's not just because you're very good at your job should you be promoted to manager yeah um yeah i think it's an incredibly sort of interesting interesting thing so when you were sort of looking around the sort of the worcester practice in here what were the things sort of you were looking at that sort of just sold it to you as I want this practice. Well, we were going to build something in Worcester, so it wasn't even there wasn't even a template there. Mm. Um, it was that. So I guess the the place to start is that you have two choices: you either buy an existing practice mm -hmm. or you start your own. That's what mm -hmm. a squat practice is. It's starting right from scratch. Now, mm -hmm. the, there's pros and cons to both. Um, I really, my, my advice for young dentists out there is I really believe the best way to do it is to start a squat practice. Okay. And the reason for that is when you buy a practice, you buy something called goodwill. Mm -hmm. There is no goodwill. Goodwill <laughs> doesn't exist. You buy a practice and you are buying a list of patients that you have to earn to keep, right? Mm -hmm. And okay, fine. It means that's footfall right from the beginning. You're not mm -hmm. in an empty building. So mm -hmm. you are buying that value. But the fact is, and I think most practice owners who have bought a practice will tell you that actually the people who don't you don't resonate with will leave mm -hmm. in terms of your patients and new ones will come in. Mm -hmm. And you, can't, you don't own these people. You yeah. haven't bought them, right? So goodwill is expensive and it's there's a multiplication factor on the turnover that you pay for this goodwill. Mm -hmm. And so like Mike was saying to us yesterday, if there's a distressed practice, mm -hmm. there might be value in it. If people need a quick sale or they just don't know how to get the potential that you mm -hmm. see, that's cool. But you're stuck with many things. You're stuck with their patient list. You're stuck with their infrastructure. You're stuck with the team that works there. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's harder to turn the direction a ship is going in mm -hmm. than to just build your own lifeboat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, that's a terrible analogy. But um, so the thing about a squat, though, is it's scary because there's no footfall and mm -hmm. you have to do things that you're even less trained for. So clinically, we're, we're trained not to do clinical work to a perfect level at university, but we're taught how to think mm -hmm. and we're taught how to research. So the idea is if you need to do a procedure, or you need to do something that's a little bit different to what you've done. You can go, you can read the literature about it, and then you can apply your theoretical knowledge mm -hmm. and you have some dexterity skills. Mm. 
from business side, you know nothing. Mm-hmm. And so you're having to plan possibly building or redoing a building. Mm-hmm. You're planning putting in surgeries that have things that I'd never thought about, the services going to the chairs, the type of chairs. You're dealing with, um, for us, HIW, but mm-hmm. in England, CQC and regulations. And then managing the building, all mm-hmm. of these huge things. Yeah. So um, a squat practice has its own downside. And then you have to fill the building up. Mm. So you got to be ready for scary times financially. And then eventually when there is value, it's your value. Mm-hmm. So what? So then what does your day look like as a practice owner? So yeah, yeah. Oh, what does it look like now versus what it did look like when we started? Mm. Um, it really varies. And the one thing that has really changed how my day goes is we've now learned where to go for things. So mm-hmm. um, I we we aren't trained in HR. Mm-hmm. We have external HR support. We're not mm-hmm. trained in accountancy. We have external accountancy support, IT support. Mm-hmm. So I was liaising with all of these people. And when we ha- we've always believed in having a practice manager, but our practice manager was more kind of uh, acting as a head nurse. Mm-hmm. Having an amazing practice manager that liaises with all of these people as well as the team mm-hmm. means that my day very much consists of dealing one-on-one with the practice manager, mm-hmm. Alex, she's amazing, who then is very good at implementing things. Mm. So my day now is working. I, I do a lot of clinical work because I love it. So mm-hmm. to go back to the reason most people have a practice, I believe, is the ideal for them would be to have a practice that they then don't have to work in and they own a business and they work on the business at their leisure and it makes money. Mm-hmm. That's not why I have a practice. I have a practice because I wanted the environment to do what I love doing, which is mm-hmm. the clinical side. Um, so uh, working, on the, everyone talks about, you know, you're meant to work on the business, not in the business. Mm-hmm. But my day actually consists of both but to the degree that i want because the team are so good Mm -hmm. and then we're all different right so as individuals we all have different strengths Mm -hmm. so some people might be really good at processes Mm -hmm. some people might be really good at a technical thing some people might be really good at big picture thinking but not Mm -hmm. implementing so i think having a vision and then communicating that vision is one of my strengths so i -hmm. spend a lot of time with each individual team member Mm -hmm. So my day will consist of coming in and and chatting to everyone and spending time mm-hmm. with them before we see the patients and then catching up with Alex and making sure everything's on track. But it can be a day of firefighting if you don't have the external support and you don't organize yourself. Fair enough. So what, so what strengths then do you think does make a good practice manager not practice manager practice owner (laughs) well so this is the thing you you are going to be who you are and you need to consider your weaknesses and work on them but the biggest change came about we do a growth day every year Mm. and one year we had personality testing done Mm -hmm. and so we looked at the personalities and we had a lot of very similar personality types and so Mm. it's not about what makes you a good practice owner Mm -hmm. it's about making sure that you are self-aware of your weaknesses Mm -hmm. and you surround yourself with Mm -hmm. people whose strengths are your weaknesses Mm -hmm. and balancing that out so i think i guess self-awareness is probably the most important Mm -hmm. factor and just knowing we're not all good at everything Mm -hmm. and there are a lot of people around me my team who 
I will defer to for a lot of decisions because they're better at those things than I am. And mm-hmm. if you don't, if you just want to be in charge, it's probably not going to go well. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> But no everyone dictator. might, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone might disagree and say that's exactly what I am. But... You actually need that. <laughs> but, um, so, if you were thinking, sort of, as a young dentist, sort of like, oh, you know, I, I do think I want to buy one one day. How far in advance do you think you really need to be sort of properly thinking about it? As in, in terms of like thinking about your finances or sort of looking around at markets and things like that. I think it's always a good idea um, at the beginning of your career to i say to everyone because this advice was given to me and i think it's great advice when you finish your foundation training mm-hmm. keep living like you're doing your financial your foundation training and keep your finances the same mm-hmm. and everything you earn on top of that for five years mm-hmm. keep saving mm-hmm. and that money that you save is either going to go towards something personal like a house or traveling for a year mm-hmm. equipment whatever it is or it will go towards a practice or it will go towards courses. Mm. I think the key is to stay prepared mm-hmm. is my advice. And so there isn't a defined time period where, oh, make sure, because how do you know for three years before you buy a practice that you're gonna wanna practice? You might realize, and then it's about opportunity at that stage. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd also say like, don't put too much pressure on yourself to know Mm-hmm. If you think you want one and the right project comes around and you find yourself wanting it, that's probably a good sign. But I think it's really important to think about why you want to practice. Fair enough. So you said you went to Imran at the beginning, originally with the question of like, how do you do all of this? What are the sort of the little things of how do you do you get sort of an accountant involved? Do you get a property property manager that's i've I'm lost all my words and estate <laughs> agent. yeah yeah property manager um <laughs> so i think um the 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 answer is there are people who are very good at this people like mike hesketh and hesketh consultancy or oh, by the way i have to give a shout out my accountants lewis ballard i think a lot of their dental specialist accountants a lot of people use them they're brilliant at this kind of thing because they're not just accountants they they drive your business and the key is i was i had them as my accountants when i was an associate and they mm-hmm. used to say to me you ever think of having a practice yet you know they kind of planted mm-hmm. the seed because they could see that it's something that i might want to do or might be good at and they su- having these people in your corner they support you through all of this mm-hmm. so they look at all whether the 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 practice that you're looking at or the the acquisition or the the startup you're looking at is viable they guide you on that they then put you in touch with the right experts with with lawyers and mm-hmm. with people who plan surgeries and there is a network of people who mm-hmm. do this for a living mm-hmm. and so i'd say one of the things is always whether you're an associate or a practice owner always be with really good accountants because mm-hmm. they will get you the best jobs they will make sure things go well for you they have the whole mm. network yeah to yeah, do that that's good i have to write that name down <laughs> yeah what do you, what do you think is sort of the hardest thing about being a practice owner the hardest thing i think is that okay so i am the poorest and the happiest i've ever been mm-hmm. and i think I speak to people and have to deal with situations where people assume that when you own a practice, and this is not practice owners. Mm-hmm. Practice owners know that we do, we all, you know, some practices are doing very well and they're geared towards making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Most practice owners know that we 
takeout lost. Mm -hmm. And so when you're dealing with um, people in the industry, employees, associates who assume that it's easy for you to say, and they assume that you get a lion's share of things. Mm -hmm. When the fact is you'll make more as an associate unless you're running a business to just make money. Yeah. Um, and that's not what I do. So um, it's the it's the assumption that I find very difficult to deal with because it mm -hmm. makes it makes it really difficult to communicate. But but with our team, our team is lovely, and they see it as we are very transparent about things because we need their buy in to make this work. And they see that I would make a lot less. I make a lot less money than if I was an associate, and that's because I want to make this place work, and I want to make all the team's lives better. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of buy in, and there's a lot of support because of that. I think that's really, that's really lovely. Ali, what's that you're holding? Well, this is a burr box from Crown Dental Burrs and it has Dr. Flo King's name on it. And the reason we've implemented this in the practice is that Paul has the rotor system. So his great burrs are kept in order. That means you can ask your nurse for a number of burr, which means you'll always get the same burr. And the rotor system means you'll never run out of burrs. So it's definitely worth the investment and it's not nearly as dear as you might think for something this good. Why did you invest in the Navident Dynamic Navigation System? It's incredible. It brings our safety and accuracy up for patients. Here is a tracker that we use. And thanks to Rob from the Dental Imaging Company, it's been great support and so easy to set up. I see why so many people go to him for their digital imaging, 3D or two-dimensional, and also all their surgical supplies like Ustamed screws. Rob's been incredible and I'd highly recommend working with him. And um, actually talking about the team, this was one thing that came up yesterday that I didn't agree with, but I wonder what your view on it is. Should you eat with your team as the practice owner? We built this place so I can hang out with my friends and do arts and crafts all day and not feel like it's work. And that's literally what we do. So we make sure that everyone that we bring in, clinicians or support staff, are lovely people that we like spending time with and we're doing work that we don't think is work. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't understand why you wouldn't eat with your team, why you wouldn't want to be part of this community that you're building. No, I completely agree. For me, I think it's a red flag when someone doesn't eat with their team. I agree, yeah. Because I think it is that you're then all part of this community and you're all, all in it together. And I think otherwise it creates such a hierarchy. Yeah, there that I, I personally don't like it. I do appreciate some people say about, you know, oh, they're more comfortable talking without you there. But I yes, I'm, I, know, I suppose you know, they could blur lines then between sort of that friendship professional. But I think actually, if you've got the right team in the first place, that it's shouldn't not an be issue. an issue. Yeah. Um, uh, well, another red flag is if you work at a practice where the the owner refuses to work with certain staff members. Mm -hmm. says they're not good enough because then they're okay hiring people who aren't good enough and they're okay asking you to work with mm -hmm. them and so i think you know basically you you want to you want the the practice to treat everyone the same you want the practice owner to be filling the building with people that mm -hmm. they would be happy working with with personalities that they want mm -hmm. to spend time with this is how this is the difference between someone owning a business and mm -hmm. someone building a practice i think yeah how do you split your week up in terms of between sort of being the practice owner the clinical work 
life outside. So yeah, my my set my seven day weekend, my seven day yeah. work week. So, um, I I know we've spoken to people who have been saying that their clinical days are clinical days, and their non clinical is non clinical. I think that's because they find one or other stressful, mm -hmm. and they want the headspace. And I completely understand that we're all different. But for me, I do a bit of everything every day. So mm -hmm. when Lilia, my daughter, was born, um, I the practice was at a point where I couldn't take time off. So I had a week off. And when I came back, though, I was only back for a few hours a day. And it gave me the opportunity to change my working times. Mm -hmm. So I start work late every day. I start work at about 1130. Mm -hmm. And in the morning, I spend time with Lilia. Mm -hmm. I go to the gym and I get a lot of admin done. Mm -hmm. Then when I come in, I meet with Alex, who's practice manager. Mm -hmm. We go through the tasks for the day. She gets on with them. I'm seeing patients. Mm -hmm. And in between, if she has questions, she'll pop in. Mm -hmm. And between 11.30 and 5.30, I am there. I am 100% and I've used my morning mm -hmm. to give me the balance to make me the best version of myself for those six mm -hmm. hours. And yeah. then I go home for bath time. You are very good, I must admit, at making sure you are home for that bath time. Yeah. Like, I, like, when you would go to the train yesterday, I was like, go, just get on the train. I, I, so this is the thing. It's, it felt, I felt bad because you're at a conference and, you know, like Owen had come from Pembrokeshire. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I haven't seen him in ages. And it was 5.30 and everyone's going to the bar. And I was I said, I came, I had a soda water and I got on the train because I said, mm -hmm. I'm not missing bath time. In fact, the only thing I've missed bath time for is is for the live <laughs> feed today yes. so we could make sure everything was working. Um, But I think... You know, the, the thing about owning a practice is it can chip away mm -hmm. and take more and more from you. And you have to really draw the lines and it can make you take more and more away from your team. So, mm -hmm. you know, messaging team members on weekends and evenings and then demanding more and more from people. You burn people out. I've burnt people out. Mm -hmm. And so I've learned, actually, you know what? We all need boundaries. Mm -hmm. So when we're here, we're present for 100%. We set our own deadlines. Mm -hmm. So... I don't say to someone, oh, you have until this date to do this. Mm -hmm. We talk about a project, mm -hmm. say, what do you think is a reasonable deadline? And then we can work around that. But the fact is that actually ev when everyone's happy, we're more productive. Mm -hmm. And so this balance is my happiness. Mm. Well, that takes us very nicely into work-life balance there. And I, I completely agree. Uh, I am definitely someone that morning is so vital for setting the, the rest of the day. Um, and I use that to run and gym and sometimes make things for the podcast and things like that. Yeah. Um, but it just, I am not a nice person if I've not been on a run. And I know that about myself and I will hold my hands up and say it. <laughs> um, but yeah, having that exercise, I mean, I'm personally in the camp. I think everyone should be having, doing some sort of exercise every day. Um, whether that is, and I appreciate it's different levels for different people, but even just that walk or something in the morning, I just think you can then come to work in such a better place. Um, you've got those endorphins, you know, you've had that morning light and everything. And I just think, I think that's so valuable for then actually getting the most out of yourself. So I, I completely agree. But then I also understand people who say they work three long days to have four days off to go surfing for four days because that's their passion that's mm -hmm. cool too yeah yeah mm -hmm. i just don't i just don't think dentists working clinically after the first couple of years of their career mm -hmm. should be doing five or more days a week mm -hmm. and um i think if you're doing five days that's fine but then your days should be shorter mm -hmm. 
because I just think, yeah, how do you get the, the rest of these things in otherwise? No, it's, it's very true. <laughs> just don't stop. <laughs> don't stop what? Just don't stop. Don't stop moving ever. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> just literally run, gym, work, create something. But but sleep. this is where see we're in such a volatile profession, and and practice ownership is like this as well. By the way, because we don't just have our clinical issues because biology is biology, and and treatments come with risk. Mm-hmm. You then also have the crises. the mm-hmm. The biggest issue we have when we're running a practice is is the one thing that you can't control is humans. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, staff issues. And it could be that someone's called in sick. It could be that someone's having a problem. It could be that you're short-staffed. It could, you know, these are the things because we're dealing with human beings and we need to help them rather than think of them as an obstacle. Mm-hmm. But um, if you think that you've been running full tilt, uh, going full steam ahead on everything, you haven't been exercising, you're not the best version of yourself, you're probably not sleeping as well then, uh, you haven't had much time off. You're close to burning out. Something goes wrong clinically. Something goes wrong with the business. Mm-hmm. And mentally, it's a huge burden. And so I think it's really important that we all have some mental reserve in the bank so mm-hmm. that when things go wrong, we can look after ourselves. Oh, yeah. How do you sort of draw, I don't know, we've spoken about boundaries, but draw the line and work out sort of when it's better to sort of be focusing on growing your career and when sort of making time for friends and family because i appreciate sort of on average they can stay separate but it does get to points where you're always going to get overlap and how do you work out what to prioritize you know it's 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 a really um unfair thing for me to comment on because all of us are different and all of our experiences are different i hope if mike listen mike hasket listens to this i hope he doesn't mind me saying i think it's amazing that his wife mentioned that Mike lost his dad early on in his life and that was the motivation behind selling the practice and spending a year traveling with their kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. like we all have the opportunity to shape our lives through these decisions. Mm-hmm. And I guess the most important thing is not when you pick family and when you pick the business, it's to be making a really conscious decision every time because what can happen is we convince ourselves that what we do is so important. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm so important. I'm so important. I have such important things to do. I have I have a practice. I have 10 people depending on me, right? Mm-hmm. And we, we tell ourselves a story and it makes us feel good to be busy and important. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that that story can chip away at the things like the weekends and the evenings and for me, mm-hmm. the bath times. Um, and so I think it's really important that each of those decisions is not taken lightly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a conscious, I am picking mm-hmm family or I am picking work and this is why this time Mm -hmm. and then to do that every time so that it never becomes autopilot yeah I think that's yeah it's that it is it's yeah knowing when to say no and sort of yeah getting those boundaries in place um I think yeah human beings we're creatures of habit in general yeah so it's making sure you're not in that sort of overdrive habit from the start because otherwise that's going to become your norm. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and also the the type of the the team around you can make a big difference to this. So mm-hmm. you know, we're now at a point I'd say for the first time where we have the r- right team in place. And I feel like that takes so much burden off mm-hmm. of us and allows me to put my family first a lot of the time, mm-hmm. which which you know, we can all say I'll always put family first, but the fact is like you have to put your career first sometimes, maybe mm-hmm. not, maybe once in a day, mm-hmm. maybe not necessarily every day for a year, but mm-hmm. um, having a team that you invest in and look after rather than seeing what you can get out of them. 
puts you in a position where they look after the business and they look after you and allow you to have that balance. So I would say for anyone considering having a practice, what you put in is what you'll get out. And if mm -hmm. what you want to get out is balance mm -hmm. and low stress, then be generous with the spoils that come from the business. Mm -hmm. oh, well, yeah, that's really, really nice. Great uh, advice from someone no. who's the poorest he's ever been. Yeah, <laughs> um, Actually, listeners uh, who are watching live, if anyone wants to comment sort of what their um, sort of current things they do for balance, that would be great. We can get sharing on some some different things. I know personally, recently I was really reaching my tether on a, on a, I was, I'd taken on a few too many projects all in one go. Um, and I ended up sort of having a day where I sat and I did a paint by numbers for the full day. And just with some music on, I really just got in a complete flow state. Um, I'm not a painter or anything like that. Um, it was actually Tom's Christmas present. So I basically did the whole thing for him. <laughs> and, Brilliant. But it was lovely. And I actually was able to sort of really unwind and through sort of being in that flow state, then focus on, okay, this is what I need to be prioritizing and, and when. And actually, sometimes I think it is really important that sometimes you do take that step back sort of completely and spend some sometimes that alone time as well to work out actually what what you want to be prioritizing and you can then come up with plans and strategies as well then um but i think sometimes people look at it and think oh you wasted a day there and i know i've been no. in that state before but actually it was so useful for me it, it's an investment right like mm. um one of my friends um mark who's who's my neighbor as well he's he goes he goes for uh he, he has a, a big company not dental and he goes for a walk up a mountain once a week or once every two weeks mm -hmm. with key members of his team. Mm -hmm. And that means that, I mean, I know this is a little bit different to what you were saying, but it's a change of perspective. It's a change of pace. It's a change of environment. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important. It's why, you know, okay, so on a day-to-day -day or weekly basis, you need to have that to unwind for yourself. But I think, mm -hmm. you know, even as a practice owner, we need to do that as teams and sub-teams. So mm -hmm. we have... A strategy day where myself, Zara as the directors and Alex, the practice manager, mm -hmm. go away for a day mm -hmm. to talk about the next year and what we're going to do. And then as a team, we go away for our growth day. Mm -hmm. And then individually, there will be a day where I have a list of things to do just like you. And I go, I'm going to play video games today. Mm -hmm. Because that's what that's what my mind and body need. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important that we allow ourselves that, that they, we don't guilt ourselves from we come from such a, a competitive and academic mm -hmm. background that people forget, you know, it doesn't matter. Everyone you see, the, this was really interesting. I, I was listening to someone talk about the fact that the people who have the best work-life balance, it's because they've been through a period where they have the worst work-life balance. <laughs> they've burnt out and then they've gotten to the stage. Yeah. And I think that um, when you burn out, you realize what's important and how to balance it for sure. Mm. Oh no, definitely. I think also actually what you say, I do think w walking meetings are fantastic. Maybe, maybe all your meetings should be walking up mountains now on Ali. <laughs> if it wasn't raining all the time, I'd happily do that. No, but, but also this is the other thing. It's um, as a practice owner, you can spend all day having meetings and talking and getting wrapped up in things. And actually, I think one of the skills that I'm really glad I was on on dental committees. And mm -hmm. I think this is really important. If any practice owners have been on 
any committee. I think for me, the most useful one was being on the board of directors for the ADI, the Association of Dental Implantology, because it's a charity with trustees. So mm -hmm. when you're on the board of directors, you have a, a huge responsibility. And there is uh, a way that everything is done, right? Mm -hmm. So so the way things are agreed, the mm -hmm. way things are voted on, there are rules to everything. And understanding how these big structures work mm -hmm. helps you understand how you need to structure even a smaller company mm -hmm. and how decisions can and should be made and how consequences work and, and all of that. So um, I think it's really important uh, if you're considering having a practice to have some kind of business understanding and it could actually come from being involved in in these really cool societies that we have in dentistry. Oh yeah, I think, well, I think there's such a network, isn't there, to, to actually so much knowledge out there to dive into with other people and yeah and the, the thing is there. a lot of what's what's happening more and more now is that people will sell you their knowledge mm -hmm. and that's fair enough you know it, it's it's mentorship and we talk about mentorship surgically clinically and from a business point of view mm -hmm. but actually you know what you kind of need in order to run a practice is to develop yourself your vision your ideas your confidence and to understand how you're going to run the thing mm -hmm. and i think a lot of that can start early on and even if you end up not owning a practice it will help you as a person in dealing with your patients mm. oh yeah well like i said like being there yesterday it's it's things i think as an associate you don't always think of all the time um but being aware of how the business is run and actually what your part in all of it can be. Um, and yeah, how, how, when you do something with a patient, how that actually can build that bigger picture as well. I I, oh, I was a nightmare of an associate. <laughs> and I only realized when something <laughs> I've said over the years was said to me, which is, this is what I give up my percentage for, for you to deal with this. <laughs> and it made my blood boil when it was said to me, because it there is such a sense of entitlement. And I have to say, I had the same sense of entitlement. I'm mm -hmm. not saying I was different as an associate, but um, uh, any practice owner will now tell you, associates are expensive mm -hmm. and they have no idea what kind of work it takes to keep a, a practice open. And I, <laughs> you know, not you, Flo, not you, but... but <laughs> But, but generally speaking, and I think I think what I'd love is for every, I think it would be great in dental school, what they should do is they should have a week where we all, you know, you know, in schools, they give the students a bag of flour to keep alive. <laughs> That's oh, your baby, right? <laughs> every dental student should get a practice to keep open and they should just simulate all the problems that we have week <laughs> on week and make it their problem so that when they walk into a job, they are different <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to think what a could symbolize a practice then rather than a bag of flour maybe a potato or something <laughs> i know you men look after an actual one but that's like maybe, maybe a potato on fire no yeah. <laughs> no, no no i know so I, like mean, I, I, <laughs> I mean they talk to us about leadership in a in a in a surgery right mm. but what they actually you know because because in a hospital someone who's head of a clinic doesn't actually deal with all the building maintenance and all of that. What we should do is we should have a setup where dental students should get to visit a practice and kind of just be seeing behind the scenes and mm -hmm. what's happening for an owner. I think, you know, actually maybe this is something, you know, postgrad should consider, but um, I think yeah. it'd be really useful to know what your day-to-day -day is. Because 
everyone thinks of something when they think of practice ownership they either think oh it's so much hassle or oh i'm going to make so much money or oh i get to pick my hours mm. you work more as a practice owner you just a lot of it you get to choose when you work which is nice but you're still working more but um having insight might might show them what they're not seeing because mm. a lot of people say oh i bought a practice and it was the worst thing i did and mm -hmm. now i don't have a practice and i'm really happy being an associate but they weren't happy before because the grass is always greener yeah i must admit that one of the was taking on the mental year last year you were very kind and have shown me a lot of behind the scenes and that has been so invaluable actually working out how things run because I, I didn't really have that that knowledge at all before um and i do think it, it should make me a better associate actually through having that knowledge and appreciating actually what the other half of your split like you said go towards and it's yep. not just it's not just materials and, and you're having your nurse that there's so much more it's and there. you know what i love it i i i wouldn't be happy if i weren't doing this job which which includes complex clinical as well as running the business but i think you know for example let's let's use a scenario it's the problem solving so one of the conversations that we might have in front of you so that you could see this as a mentee was um alex might say let's chat about this issue there is a dentist uh, by the way i've made this up but uh, it kind of it's kind of it's, insert name here <laughs> yeah no it's kind of representative of, of a typical problem that i think you'd see that this dentist is, or this nurse is not happy working with this dentist mm -hmm. for these reasons mm. and then we have to deconstruct that whole problem mm -hmm. and look at the steps towards a solution and then we have to think about long-term management of this and it's difficult because the hardest problems to solve involve people and mm -hmm. personalities whereas it's easy if if something's not working we yeah. get someone to fix it i mean it might be expensive and that's not ideal but but mm -hmm. that that's relatively easy right oh yeah well and i know i've spoken about them before but my brothers i think that's they've done incredibly well in their careers because they're very good people managers yeah and that is such a such a big key and sort of yeah aspect i think that is so often missed in any work space um, but actually, if you've got someone who's good at managing people, that is completely invaluable. So so the problem is when a practice owner doesn't realize that they're not very good with people mm -hmm. and then they deal with people and they do all the <laughs> HR stuff. It's also just people don't want to pay for outside expertise. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I thought it was really cool what Mike was saying yesterday. He was saying that we are custodians of this business. Mm -hmm. And so we're there to protect the business and to protect the people whose income comes from it. Because we have a lot of employees who mm -hmm. their families depend on that income. And when we think about it that way, like we need to know that we're operating within rules that are not just fair and moral, but also will protect uh, the, the business itself so that it carries on as it is. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of practice owners take a lot on themselves and they sit there late at night reading regulations and dealing with, you know, I need to understand HR because mm -hmm. I need to deal with this issue. There are HR people out there. Mm -hmm. They will come in and they will know and they will sort it out and they are nice and they're easy to deal with. And it takes them half an hour mm -hmm. to deal with a problem that would have taken you 24 hours. Mm -hmm. And their rate is very fair compared to your clinical rate if you spent that time getting some balance and doing some clinical work. Mm. So I think um, 
I think if you want to enjoy running a practice and you want to run a practice, then get comfortable with outsourcing some stuff. Mm. No, I think that's I think that's really 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 useful tip there to to end with. Um, if anyone does watching have any questions, please write them in now. Um, I did get a couple um, together from some people beforehand who knew they couldn't tune into the live. Um, so one person asked, what are the potential sort of personal challenges or sacrifices associated with owning a practice? Ooh. Um, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of any because I feel like I made more sacrifices as an associate. Okay. Um, I work a lot more now and I work harder and I get paid less, but I don't miss family events and mm -hmm. I don't miss courses that I really want to do, which I've mm -hmm. had to in practice because they say, oh, but no one's here to cover emergencies. Mm -hmm. Whereas now I go, no, 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 this is really important. Like, mm -hmm. like this course, this person is retiring and this is the last time mm -hmm. they're teaching this course and I'd love to go on this course. So, mm -hmm. um, I don't have a problem with, with working lots of hours mm -hmm. it doesn't feel like work so if you want to just work a couple of hours a day that's that's probably not the job for you do you i know i know you're not going to sort of be able to answer this but do you think there is sort of a little bit of a gender inequality in some ways with being a practice owner and i know i know both of us know some fantastic female practice owners but as in actually sort of being able to give the time sort of family-wise and owning a practice? Uh, maybe, but, you know, for us, like, it was great because Zara owns this practice as well and she wanted to go off on maternity and she didn't want to have to come back when she would have had to come back. And so we restructured the business. Mm -hmm. And so we had the flexibility to do that. And so I think I think it's always easier when there's more people involved in a business, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, I think I think the the people who miss out the most or the the people who have the toughest time are the people who are alone in owning a business. Mm -hmm. Whether it's a business partner, a friend, a, your spouse, whatever it is, that's what makes it easier. Um, mm -hmm. I can't speak from the gender perspective because I've only owned it <laughs> as one gender. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's like to tell us, Ali. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, actually, that's what with if you if you do share at some a business with someone with a friend how common is it for there to be fallouts and things you know it's so interesting because someone put a survey on one of the implant groups that they're doing a research into um how practice owners like to buy a practice and whether they would look at uh shared partnership and things and um you hear a lot of stories of things going wrong and you don't hear of many of things just going well. If you are the type of person who can just let things go, great. Mm -hmm. I am not. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think you have to be honest with yourself about if you're really easygoing and you're always like, ah, yeah, okay, whatever. Mm -hmm. And you're in partnership, you're probably going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, you you no two human beings are ever going to completely agree on something. Mm -hmm. My advice would be do it on your own. And do it your way. My thing was always, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it my way. And if we fail spectacularly, that's cool. Mm -hmm. I can go back to whatever. Mm -hmm. But it, I think it's worse to fail doing it in a compromised way. Fair enough. We've we've got um, a question in from Aston. Who shouldn't own a practice? Anyone who wants for for me, okay. 
Okay, so so this is an interesting question because based on yesterday, mm -hmm. the assumption is that people who own a practice want to walk away from the clinical side, work as little as possible, put a team in place to manage the practice and see the money roll in. Mm -hmm. Okay, now this is a bit harsh because there are excellent practices out there owned by people who are not in the practice, mm -hmm. but. I take a personal responsibility for what goes on in this building, for the way the staff are treated, for the way the patients are treated, and I love doing what we do. So if you want to just have a business and step away from it, don't own a practice if it's going to bother you that things are going wrong there, mm -hmm. because what you're doing is you're creating a cash cow. Mm -hmm. Don't create a business, don't own a business if you don't enjoy the problem solving and the responsibility that comes with. Mm -hmm. Don't own a practice if you're not going to be good with people, mm -hmm. which kind of goes without saying, and if you're not going to be organized. And don't own a practice if you want to make lots of money and make it quickly. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantees in any of that, right? Mm -hmm. You are better off if you're earning well as an associate and you're happy, then you're better off there because you think you'll walk into a practice and you'll have, oh yeah, I'll make the decision. I'll buy all the kit I want. I'll do things exactly how I want. But the fact is then suddenly the fiscal responsibility is on you and you mm -hmm. go, actually, <laughs> I can do without that. I can do without that. Right. Yeah. So yeah. No, no I don't know if that helps at all, Austin, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's followed it up with what considerations you should take for setting up for preparing for a sale of a practice on uh, the other end. Uh, this is what um, Mike was talking about. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably not a good question for me to be answering because this is the least saleable practice <laughs> in the world. Um, you, what, you, what you want is if you're going to sell, you need to have, well, let, we went through this yesterday. You need to have all your documents ready, mm -hmm. right? You need all your associates to have signed contracts. Mm -hmm. You need all your warranties, your documents, like five to 700 documents that you need all lined up. You need to have three years of accounts mm -hmm. and you need to have an associate-led practice. Yeah. And for us, that's the big thing that actually um, a good practice that's run well as a business, they were saying that the owner should be able to at least take home what they bring in. Yeah. I take home a quarter of what the associates take home. Mm -hmm. So... Um, yeah, I I don't feel I'm maybe qualified to tell people how to set up for a sale because I'm not set up, but, the, but that would kind of be what yeah. you're looking at. I think they said as well about sort of, yeah, thinking about to in advance, sort of getting everything together yeah. well in advance. I do wonder about if you bought a practice and then really changed your mind sort of within a year and then wanted to sell it so you didn't have then the accounts for three years no no what but the practice has accounts for three years but what if you set up a squat practice oh right i see what you mean well so okay so this was our situation right where imran had set up a squat mm. but hadn't built it into anything yet mm -hmm. so it was two years old and it hadn't turned into anything and it was very quiet and we rebranded it and started again from scratch but we we managed to bypass thanks to his hard work the construction phase mm. the the hiw phase and all of that but um, essentially, if you set up a squat and you don't see it through, mm -hmm. you will lose a lot of money. Fair enough. That's an expensive mistake. Yeah, that's an expensive mistake. Yeah. Well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, that was really good fun. If anyone does have any last last minute um, 
<clears throat> questions, pop them on now. Um, I've definitely learned, learned a lot from today. And yeah, I think I'm still in the camp of, I'm going to hold off on buying a practice for quite a while. <laughs> well, our, our aim as a practice is if we can set this up so that it's people's dream jobs, then people don't, I, I you know, if I had loved being in a place and I'd had freedom <laughs> to go to courses when I wanted to do the treatment that I wanted to work the times that I wanted, why would I take on the hassle? So hopefully, Flo, we, we yeah. take away the hassle. Um, yeah, thank you. That's great. Yeah, thank you all for tuning in. And this is the last episode of season one. We'll be taking a short break um, and then coming back for season two. Yes, and um, thank you to those that tuned in live on Instagram. And if you uh, didn't manage to catch this on Instagram, then you'll find this out. But we're <laughs> not just on uh, podcast um apps on all the devices but we're also on youtube you can watch this video because producer simon puts it on there um so please check that out and please remember to subscribe like and share thank you for all the support for season one um we just thought we'd give this a try and we've had some really nice messages so hopefully mm -hmm. we can come out with things of, of value yeah no thank you thank you for listening to pearls two generations in dentistry don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Pearls Dental Podcast. Send us a DM with any questions, queries or topic suggestions. And remember, you can watch our episodes on YouTube. Please rate and review the podcast. This episode was produced by Simon Regan. <laughs>